Welcome to the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We are your hosts, Michael and Lauren Falk. We are physical therapists, athletic trainers, and strength and conditioning coaches at Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance. We will be talking all things related to athletic performance for Milwaukee area athletes. Sports medicine, performance training, sports nutrition, recovery, and sports coaching. There's a lot of misinformation and myths surrounding athletic performance and injuries. This podcast is designed to bring current, factual, and evidence-based information to Milwaukee area athletes. Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Falk, and I am joined today by Charlie Lyon. Charlie is currently an MLS pool goalkeeper. We'll come more on that later on what that means. Uh, Charlie played Division I soccer at Marquette University, where he won multiple Big East championships and had two NCAA tournament appearances, including the Sweet 16. I was there. I can attest to it. <laughs> Following graduation, Charlie was drafted by the Seattle Sounders in 2015, where he was a part of their team when they won the MLS Cup in 2016. Today, we are going to discuss a bit about Charlie's background as an athlete, his transition from college to pro, and ultimately how he prepares as an athlete. I think we're going to discuss a bunch of great things today, and I hope that each of you will take something with you after our conversation today. So thank you, Charlie, so much for joining us today on our podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) So to start off, Charlie and I have known each other for, we quick did the fast math, 10 years. So you've you've been stuck with me for at least a decade now, so, and we're still going strong. Fortunately, fortunately. (laughs) So I actually knew Charlie even before college um, through a camp, but I was fortunate enough to be Charlie's athletic trainer at Marquette, where we spent countless days, hours, multiple sessions a day, um, you know, early mornings, late nights, road trips, you name it, we spent them all together. Um, So we have had quite the life experiences together. but I guess I would say through all of that, I guess I'm just really lucky to say that I can call you a really good friend as much as you were a former teammate. So um, we always have a great time when we talk and uh, I'm really excited to share kind of what our relationship has been over the years to everybody else. Yeah, the, the feeling, well, the feeling is mutual. I don't think that I would be where I am currently um, if it weren't for the time that we, we spent together, um, not only working in, uh, in the training room, but um, I think you kept me sane. Through some, through <laughs> All some, the life uh, talks we had. Yeah, we had a few. <laughs> so that's, the fun, that's one of the best parts about being an athletic trainer and having those relationships with your athletes and knowing them from day one, you know, until they graduate and beyond is that, you know, being in sports medicine is not just about treating the injury. It's literally about knowing the person, being there to support them through the highs and the lows and just being on that journey together. And I think, you know, we started from day one together and, you know, it, it, I think mm-hmm. our relationship is the testament to what that awesome relationship really can be um, from sports medicine to athlete and vice versa. Yeah. And, and we got put into it real quick. Yes. I, I did not it did not start how I pictured. No, absolutely. So why don't we start talking about that anyway? So when you were a freshman in college, you were faced with a pretty significant knee injury that sidelined you for over a year. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that injury and your experience going through that? Yeah, so coming into freshman year, um, suffered a torn PCL in my left knee um, and, a, and a torn meniscus. Um, I was in denial about it for a while and even even had had surgery prior to getting to Marquette but hadn't repaired the, the PCL. And then it was once that we had started working together um, during summer school, it was pretty apparent that my knee wasn't going to tolerate not having a PCL. We tried. So for, yeah, we tried. <laughs> we, we tried, tried. but we, um, we ultimately knew it wasn't going to survive the situation. No, no, not with, not with the nature of goalkeeping and what I, what I wanted to do. And so four days into preseason freshman year, I had surgery. Um, I, I remember 
waking up nice and early, you accompanying me to the, to the hospital. And, um, yeah, that was, that was a start. So while everyone else was running fitness and training that day, like I'm, you know, recovering under anesthetic. Yeah. Under anesthesia and, and having my, my knee repaired. Um, that was so actually a pretty, his, that was a pretty historic, uh, surgery as well. In Dr. Gordon's book, he still tells the story about how it took him, took him an hour to get through your tibia because your bone was so thick. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's, it's, it's that, uh, it's that Midwest, um, growing up, they, they raise us good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, so we were, that was preseason. So you had gone through the procedure and we were already in recovery starting in preseason. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, spent a couple of weeks at home. So that was, that was particularly tough to have had my entire life always been a part of a team and then like while while my new team was was preparing was going through things together was bonding was you know it was striving working hard you know I was at home playing in my living room not even able not even able to walk or or, or bend my knee so that was it was a challenge I think it was really until I was laying alone you know at night that I really realized this the gravity of the injury and what it was going to mean to my career and um you know doubts and fears everything crept in at that point but um uh you you kept me sane like we <laughs> we did countless quad sets and leg raises and um that was that was a start but like we had to learn like I had to learn to walk again I remember mm-hmm. learning to walk Jace still catches me swinging I swing my leg sometimes I still have to focus on it <laughs> yeah the like strut that you had yeah. Yeah. Well, when you, when you have your leg locked out for six weeks, it's hard not to pick that up. Um, yeah. It creates a habit. Yeah. And then, uh, I remember, um, you know, the first time jogging across the training room and it felt so strange, but we, we, we had to build up from, you know, ground floor. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a, you know, it was a very long process, you know, and it's hard because you, you weren't on the field for a year, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of developing that mental skill set and that physical skill set. You know, I can remember our workouts in the training room, like in the dead of winter, you know, trying to keep the eye on the prize of like, we are working this hard multiple times a day, this many days a week for that end prize of, you know, putting our foot on the field and being ready to play, you know, mm-hmm. and it's hard. I think, especially as like a young college student too to like trust in that process and see the bigger picture of what you're really working for on the days that quite frankly really suck <laughs> you yeah. know it, it's hard it is it is and you do there are times where you're in that really low spot that the big picture doesn't doesn't seem feasible or attainable at that that moment and and what I, what I started to learn through the, that experience and what, what I think we did a good job of in my rehab was celebrating like the little things, you know, mm-hmm. like being able to walk. I remember being able to open my brace to 30 degrees, you know, and put full weight on it. Like that was, that was huge because of the six weeks of hopping around on crutches, you know, and like across campus and everything. Um, so like celebrating the little things was what, because it doesn't, it didn't, it doesn't seem important to somebody else that you could bend your knee 30 degrees. But like, for me, that was, that was like the next step. And yeah. I mean, I, I pushed you relentlessly to, 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 to go on to something. Lots of questions. Whatever the next thing, lots of questions, lots of questions. But, um, I think we, we did do a good job of setting those goals. You know, it wasn't just like, yeah, the end goal was getting back on the field, but we had all those little goals in between. Mm-hmm. And it was very marked, it was marked out in a very clear way that I knew what I was striving for. And that kind of kept me going. Yep. And you got to walk before you can run. You get, you know, you got to crawl before you can walk. You got to walk before you can run. Like there are all yeah. these stepwise progressions to being that full fledged athlete on the field that people just honestly don't recognize until it's been taken away, you know, yeah. and that's our job as sports medicine professionals is to help you know, recreate those building blocks and take you through that process, you know, and that's, I think that's really a good way, kind of like you're already saying, it's a process, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not like you wake up the next day and you're back on the field, but it's understanding that path step-by-step and what we're going to do to accomplish it and making sure that we're checking off those boxes, you know, 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think yeah. that there's a lot of trust that goes into that too. You know, there was a lot of implicit trust that had to happen from both ends to make it a mm-hmm. successful rehab. Yeah. Yeah. You had to know that I was going to do the work and do it right. You know, cause it's not like you could be like, we're in the same room, but you have other athletes and like, you had to know that I was doing the exercise the right way. And you had to trust that we could move on to the next step. And, and I was having to trust that, um, that under your guidance and your assessment that, that we were going to get where I wanted to go. Um, and for me, I, I felt like, um, we, I felt like we developed that trust really quickly because it was like, we had a lot of, we had a lot of hours together Yep. real, real quick. So. Absolutely. Well, I think part of what kind of goes unsaid too. So like you're new to college, you're, so A, you're in a whole new setting, you're meeting new people, you're living in a new place. Like you're living in a small dorm room with a massive bracing crutches, mm-hmm. you know, and then on top of it, you know, it's not like you're a pro athlete where you're just coming to the training room X amount of days per week like you have to go to class too, you know, and mm-hmm. Marquette is not the most forgiving campus to have to tread across in the winter <laughs> No, when you're injured, no. as I'm sure we've all experienced, you know, and it, I mean, even just talk about that for a second, like that balance of like, now you have this other job of rehab on top of all those things. Like that just had to be very overwhelming. Those like, it's not even like you got started in class. This all happened before class even happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a bit, I was a bit stubborn at first um, because I didn't want to take rides. (laughs) I didn't want to take rides from anybody. And so I had to crutch six, six blocks downhill just to make it to like the start of the academic buildings. And then, um, so it was, it was tough because I was managing getting into college classes, trying to navigate around campus on crutches and not doing so very quickly. And in the summer, like I remember showing up to class completely drenched in sweat, like, the entire shirt. There was nothing dry about it. I would sit there the entire class sweating until I eventually like felt okay. And that was right when class ended and I had to go get drenched just going to the next class. But I mean, it was tough because I wasn't able to like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing my books and stuff with me. I didn't, I didn't have access to a lot of food outside of it. You know, I was losing weight. Yeah, I was your trying food was always to, in your backpack. Yeah. I was trying to, 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 uh, and I didn't want to crutch around. Like I tried to get somewhere and just stay as yeah. long as I could until I had to go. Um, so yeah. So as if, as if being a full-time uh, student and then a full-time athlete, and then you add in, you know, sometimes two, two and a half hours of, of rehab yeah. pretty consistently. Um, you know, there, there were, there wasn't a lot of extra time in the day, but for me, I saw it as worth it because for one, of how much I wanted to play and um, be a contributing factor to the program. But also I, I knew that our time together, I had the opportunity and I think I, we saw it as the opportunity to build myself up from, from the, from the ground, ground up again. And although my injury wasn't due to like a non-contact or kind of a mechanical you know, reason, it was a, it was collision, it was contact, but yeah. um, I knew that I, I could, learn what I needed to learn and build up a body and, um, uh, movement patterns that would help support me through the rest of my career. And so I think that was, that was an important realization for me. Absolutely. So, I mean, I know this a lot about you, but it sounds like your recovery experience, you just learned a lot and it shaped how you moving forward. So what was that, you know, transition from recovery to, you know, back to full sport participation and beyond like, what were some of those staples that you learned that you took with you then and keep with you now? Yeah. Um, the first, the first major hurdle is dealing with your identity as being an athlete. And once that's stripped of you, you, you have to start to look at what else is there. And so that's really where I had always had good grades, but it was really where the, um, my commitment to wanting to do well in school came from was that I knew that this was ending. I didn't know when, you know, everyone talks about it. It'll end one day. You might have an injury or whatever, but until you go through that, it doesn't really land. It's not, it's not as solid. Um, so that was one of the first things that I learned that, that there was more to me than just Charlie, the soccer player, that there was this, you know, this other side of me that I could excel in academics. Um, and so that was, that was something I learned. Um, and then 
going through that experience, having more um, challenge or, or like adversity than I had ever experienced, you, you see how deep the reservoir is within yourself to handle something that you never thought possible. Um, I never pictured being in that position of, of having to learn to, to walk again and do it properly. And so um, I think I started to see that there was, that I was capable of a lot more and having gone through that um, and having had uh, soccer taken away for that amount of time, I really learned um, how important it is and like just how, how much of a, how much of an opportunity and a, and a blessing it is just to be physically healthy and to, to be on the field, do that. So I think that there was some more gratitude. Um, and then ultimately our work, our work was to get me back on the field as a functioning athlete, but you were also teaching myself and, and all your other athletes that like we get one body. Like you don't trade bodies when you're done playing. We have this body through the rest of our life. So I knew then as well that that uh, a commitment to my body and and my own well being that was that was going to to surpass anything that we were doing just in those you know four or five years at at Marquette. Absolutely, no, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, you know, prevention is medicine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we really took our, our lessons together and then like applied that into your daily practices moving forward because we knew your knee was in a different state that was pre-injury. And it was our mm-hmm. job to, you know, maintain a healthy balance there and put in those continual efforts. You know, once your quote unquote time frame of injury is up, it's not over. <laughs> That's just yeah. actually the beginning on many levels of like, okay, so now you have this, for lack of a better term, different leg now. What are we going to do to take care of it, manage it, and also actually make it perform better too? You know, it's not just about getting to that next step. The ceiling can continue to rise following a big injury, you know, and that's part of what you and I did every day is that just because you made it back to that starting lineup doesn't mean we're at status quo and we stopped. If anything, we kept going, you know, and I think that's part of what we see in everything that you do today, which we'll touch on shortly. So going back to a little bit of the school balance and stuff like that. So at Marquette, you are a biomedical sciences major, which by the way, if any of you are unaware of this, but at Marquette, that is not an easy degree path whatsoever. Um, and yeah. you did it finishing with an incredible GPA. I'm pretty sure you and Axel, who is now a center back at Columbus, right? For the crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You guys had a battle down to like the thousandth of a GPA point for who had the highest one. And I want to say it was like, three nine nine seven five something like it was it was incredible it was basically like a thousandth of a point away from a four oh which is yeah i think and i think i think axe may have won i think it was it was it was close i don't i don't remember but um we we had a very strong group in axel and we all we were all competitive on and off the field Mm -hmm. with each other yeah absolutely and at that time you were even contemplating medical school Mm mm-hmm yeah, I um on top of on top of that I was trying to study for the MCAT which which didn't didn't go well. I never really felt like I was making much progress, so I, I kind of put that off until after. But I, I was the, the goal was um was medical school. I was I was really inspired by um the surgeon who had worked on my knee, Dr. Gordon, and and I really liked the idea of being able to um help people in that way. And so that was um, that was that was the priority. That was the goal. Was trying to have the best grades that I could, so that I could um, be competitive in, in medical school applications. Yeah. No, I mean, and you and that had always been kind of the forefront for you. Is you know, what in life can you do to have a positive effect on others? You know, and yeah. I think you found that in different ways, whether it was through like your potential career path or you know things like that. And as we know, that type of um, Desire in life can be found in many different ways. And obviously your calling changed a little bit with entering into the MLS, but you know, uh, dreams continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. So kind of reflecting on it. So taking the injury aside, you know, what was it like being a college athlete? What's the balance between that? Like what's some advice that you could give kids that are going into this college athlete world and how to navigate that, you know, yeah. balance to be successful. 
Yeah, it's, um, it's tricky to find the balance. And at first, at first it will be a struggle. Um, I, I, my first semester, I mean like my first for, for coming on the heels of talking about how well my grades ended up my first semester, it was different. You know, I was trying to <laughs> learn how point. to study. Yeah. I was trying to learn how to study my first grade, my first test score in biology. Uh, my first ever grade in college was a D. Not even like, oh, I ended up with a you know, C or a B. I, no, it was a D. I was like a 68% on, on this exam. Like, I did not know how to study for college. Um, didn't know what, I, how, what, like, what they expected of me. My next, my, and my next exam, I think, in chemistry was a C. Like, I wasn't, it, was a not a, it wasn't a good start. Um, but that, that kind of lit the fire for me. And so when you get put in that situation, you learn, um, you learn what you need to change. You know, I, I had to change my studying. I had to change um, how I prepared. Um, it's not easy being a student athlete because, you know, you're still taking, you're still taking a full course load anywhere from 12 to, you know, some, some athletes can do 17 or 18 credits, which is, you know, would hopefully not be in season. Uh, and it's very difficult, but you know, 12 to 16 credits and which is, a normal balance for a lot of students. And then on top of that, you're going to have, you know, two hours of training, but it's not just that you're getting down to the field, you're getting back from the field. So, you know, factoring in three hours and then you've got your prehab or any kind of rehab or other things. So you're, you know, you're spending three, three and a half hours each day doing something. Easily. Yeah. And lifting um, and everything else too. Yeah. You throw on lifts in there and then it's not like those are easy activities on, it's not like that's just easy three hours you've gone and say worked at the library or something. I'm not knocking students that have that, but like you're tired, you're physically, physically exhausted. And, and so you start to, um, you start to eliminate some of the, the things that you don't need, um, in your day. You know, of course, everybody has a desire to hang out and relax, but when you've got, you know, a test and papers and, you know, games coming up, like you just don't, you don't have a choice. You, you make it work. So Mm -hmm. to take something that was said a lot at Marquette from um, the coaching staff was it's school soccer social, you know, like you have your school life, um, you have your soccer life, and then you have your social life. Um, And ultimately the joke is that you can pick two of the three. (laughs) You can't can't have all three. So for me, my priorities were were school and um, soccer. Like if I wasn't training or um, on the field or in the training room, um, I was studying or or doing something. And that's not to say, though, that you can't have a social life because some of my best friends were the, the people I studied with. You know, we spent countless hours together and that's where that's where you kind of find that balance like are, are you going out and you're not you're not going out to the parties and hanging out with friends and just you know going playing frisbee and you know it, you don't have time for that all the time it's it's more so becomes you know are you friends with the people in your class and, and are you friends with the people you're doing the work with and so for me that's kind of where I, I was able to find that balance was I was going to be fully committed to athletics fully committed to academics but then the people along the way, you know, the time spent, like that was a little bit of the social life. Um, it had to be for me. Um, so certainly it would have been not to mention you met your uh, future wife hanging out at the library studying and in the training room. So yeah, yeah. We, (laughs) my, my social life was deeply intertwined (laughs) with with my academics and my athletics. Like that was the only thing happened. There's still (laughs) still hope. hope. Yeah. So for anybody who's like, oh man, I'm not going to have any time and be a total loser. Like, no, it's not, that's not the case. Like, I have really good friends from all that time. Like you, you bond, and especially you bond with like the, the athletes in the training room. Like you guys were your support, like you were each other's support system. Kind of become a family um, of some sort. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, you know, maybe, maybe inter team relationships don't always <laughs> pan out best for everybody but mine's an example it worked out and and we're married and um <laughs> been together for a while now so yeah um it we'll is keep, it is possible we'll keep to manage JC. It. We'll, we'll keep yeah, her yeah. yeah she's good <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure there was some like twitter post i think when you were playing for orange county about how um your uh 
like the fans had a really hard time finding something to heckle you about. And that the post was something about like, what are we supposed to do? Heckle him about the fact that he had a perfect GPA volunteered at the humane society and has a really good looking wife who played soccer too. He's like, they're like, we really can't knock him for anything. So we're just gonna say, Charlie, you're not good at as a goalkeeper. I think is like what they defaulted to. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had, we had a good, we had some good banter there. I was trying to, it was funny. I was being nice to him back and they're like, and he's nice online. Like can't even, can't even get angry with him. So no, that was fun. Um, you start to see, uh, you start to see the humor and all of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. Well, I think one other thing that we could probably both easily attest to on the academics front of college life balance is make friends with your academic advisor. Huge yes. shout out to Maureen Lewis and all the other people at Marquette University uh, athletics academic staff. But I think you are the first and foremost person that will attest to that is make friends with your academic advisor. Yeah, Maureen um, Moa, she's affectionately called. She is, she was a second mom to, to a lot of us. Both of you were to, to help mm-hmm. us through that time. And, um, you know, the Maureen, um, she still has a, uh, a, um, a uh, sticker on her desk. I, I wrote, I, I put a sticker on her desk and taped it there. And I said, this spot is reserved for Charlie Lyon for writing papers. And <laughs> writing papers was my least favorite thing. And I believe it's still on her desk. And um, she didn't have to worry about me. I was going to be fine in all of my sciences, like, you know, all the, you know, chemistry, bio, you know, whatever it was like, that was, that was my, that was my niche. Like I could do that. She didn't have to worry about me there. It was the papers. And so I, I have that spot reserved. Anytime I needed to write a paper, I was going to be there sitting next to her. I mean, it was, it's her patience was, um, was incredible because I was literally sitting next to her at her own desk where she was doing work because I needed someone to help me <laughs> write papers. And <laughs> the words, the words were, um, the words were, uh, she always told me, I can't edit the words that aren't on the paper. She's like, just put your thoughts on a page and we'll, we'll, we'll form some coherent thoughts after that, but just get words on the page. Words to live by, much like many of the things that Maureen says. Yeah, well, and it's a good, it's a good life thing because I think it's often, it's, we need, we need the, we need to know exactly how it's going to look or we need the right gear or we need, um, to know this or that about starting something it's like no just start it just start it you, you can edit it once it's on the page and sure I, I i get it don't don't do things haphazardly where you're gonna set yourself back but when you're in it when you're in at least a place that you can start from like you just gotta you gotta start and you'll edit it and you'll learn like that that experience of learning and just doing it is so much better than um you know, then, then preparing, 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 and never, never starting it. And so that was, that was, that's the big takeaway. I hear you. I will, uh, anything Maureen says, I'll back. Yeah. <laughs> She's a wise woman. So I would say if anything, you know, find the balance and make friends with your advisor. <laughs> yes. Make friends with your advisor. She, you want them on, they're on your team to start with and you really want them in your corner because, because, uh, Cause it's not easy. Cause, it's going to hit the fan at some point and you need someone, you need someone to help bail you out. Yep. And you need backup. So yeah. after you were done um, at school, so in 2015, you were drafted in the supplemental draft to Seattle um, where you were with the Sounders for two years. So what was it like making that transition? Like you get to camp, you're setting foot on the field as the newbie who just finished college. What is that like? Nerve wracking. Absolutely <laughs> nerve wracking. Um, so I, with, with getting drafted, um, especially as late as I was, there's, there isn't a contract that comes with that draft pick. It's, it's an invitation to preseason. And so for me, it started in Seattle and um, they had a two week or a, a nine day stretch in Seattle prior to leaving for California. And so what it, what it appeared when I arrived at the training center was that you had to make it each stage so you had to be invited into the next stage of preseason so all I knew was that all of this work all this time all this effort came down to the next nine days um and so that was that was nerve-wracking to have like all of you know 15 plus years and all the work we put together you know in, in college and 
here I am and you know now I have to make something something happen um with it and and um you know showing up at a big club like Seattle um passionate fan base like there was fans at the first day of preseason like a, a lot of fans just singing and chanting and so not only not only is it scary walking into training putting on like the Sounders crest you know, going up, I was going up against Clint Dempsey at the time, Obafemi Martins, and, you know, a, a whole slew of talented players. Um, not only is that intimidating, but you're doing in front of, you know, one of the, the loudest, most passionate fan bases in the, in the country. And so, um, so to add my own hopes and dreams, the, the club's expectations, the fans' expectations, and then just the quality and the, the, the difference in the level there. Uh, there was a lot of there were a lot of nerves, and um, so it took a lot to 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 go into that. Mm-hmm. So the shots come faster, <laughs> faster, um, and uh, are placed more consistently in in areas that are difficult to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll bet you felt that. Yeah, one coming. yeah, there weren't at the start. Even I mean, even for the first. To, I mean, even for the majority of the first year, there were more days than not that I didn't feel like it was a, a good session where I, I really had performed well. It was, I kept in my mind questioning, okay, when am I going to feel like I belong here? When do I feel like I've made the jump? Um, and, and it comes slowly. It comes slowly, especially because the work we, I was doing with my goalkeeper coach, we were making some um, some changes. So not only was jumping to a different level difficult, but I was also changing things about my game. And so there was a lot, of, a lot going through my head when I was facing shots and trying to play. And so um, just the, the speed and the quality and the execution um, is just so much higher. And so it does feel a bit like you're drowning at first, just like you're just trying to, to stay even caught up. Like I felt like I was the very last guy in a pack, you know, of, uh, of guys at a sprint. And I was just trying to stay close enough that, that I could still be thought of as in the group. Yeah. When at that point too, I mean, you're kind of, kind of insinuating all the work that goes into it, but like, yes, kind of being a college athlete is your job, but it's also split between being a student and being an athlete. But I mean, this legitimately became your job. I mean, you're doing it a lot more intensively your daytime schedule is, you know, becoming even more focused on all those aspects that become a part of being a professional athlete, you know? Yeah. Yeah. To the whole, my whole day focus was, was revolving around training, you know, like you, I, I would go to bed and you're thinking of training and you wake up and you're, you're eating breakfast and like, and it's not like I was one of the veterans who could relax. Like I was nervous at breakfast. I'm like, okay, I've got training in two hours. And then it was okay. Training in one hour. And I was just, um, I was living for having completed training just so I could know that I had done well that day and I had made it through another day. And then, but then, you know, as a young player, you sit there and you ruminate all day. You're like, I could have done better here. And, and to add to it, I don't know if what the senior, um, the reserve contracts are like for the MLS, but um, they, they have three contracts in the MLS that are kind of like for the last three roster spots. And so they are slight, they're, they're paid less than the senior minimum. Um, but they also had this feature where they were semi guaranteed for, um, for the year. So at any point I could have been cut up until July 7th. So for once I, even once I made that, I, I made it through each subsequent round that I needed to, I outlasted the other goalkeepers that were brought in on trial and um, apparently strung together enough performances that they're like, okay, we'll keep them around for, <laughs> for a year. But um, in my contract in the back of my mind, I knew that I could have been, um, I could have been cut at any moment up until July 7th. And so that was, that was really stressful. I really felt like each day my performance really mattered. And not that I didn't take that level of seriousness in college, but you know, when you're a senior and you've been goalkeeper of the year this season prior, there's a little bit of an understanding, you know, of where you are in, in position with the team. Um, so to come in, be the last guy in the group and then, have the potential of having your contract terminated halfway into the year. Like that was, that was a lot of pressure. And, and granted, I, I had my own perfectionistic tendencies that didn't help that <laughs> environment, but, um, 
there was uh, there was a lot of weight um, on my shoulders in that at that time. So I mean, obviously you've obviously you've liked it enough that you've been around for a while, but it probably isn't the like shiny, sparkly dream that everyone pictures it to be. That like once you're actually there, you know, the bar has been raised, the requirements are much higher. That you know, obviously. I'm sure you were still thrilled to be able to live out one of your goals of being in a professional mm-hmm. league, but probably not as shiny <laughs> once you're in. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not as shiny once you're in. You um, you realize very quickly that it is a job that it, that and that the margins are so thin, um, and it's difficult to at first comprehend how you could go each year. I saw guys who I thought were good players and they just ran out of opportunities or, or they didn't, they just didn't, you know, there wasn't a contract or whatever. And so, um, so I was learning very quickly, like just the nature of the business and, and how, um, how it worked. And it's not, as a kid, I pictured the life of a pro. Like I would, I was like, Oh, I'd be showing up to training early and, I'd be working out for an hour before and I'll stay out and do two hours of training after. And like, I'll just like make my muscle my way into the starting lineup. And, um, you realize that, uh, you know, although there were days that were extremely physically challenging, um, the mental demand was what was challenging. And, and they always talk about, um, getting into the summer, uh, is a really challenging thing for players coming from college, you know, in, in the college season, you start in um, August preseason and you, you know, if you're lucky, you're playing into November. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's a very short window when, when the pro season goes from January to, uh, to December. And so the college season um, starts and concludes before even half of the MLS season is done. And so it's yeah. a whole new game of mental fitness. And uh, I think I struggled at first with trying to find ways to, to recharge because the, each, each, each day felt like, um, like a game performance, you know, level of concentration. Like it, it was, uh, it was absolutely exhausting and tiring mentally. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's different when your passion becomes your job. There's no doubt, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it shifts and there's things that you have to do to adjust. So during your time as a professional athlete, you have been very serious about your preparation as an athlete, both physically and mentally. So I want to talk about that a little bit. So physically, you have been since college, very big into physical preparation. I can remember you on days where before our team actually did active warmups, you'd be down on the field doing your active warmup before everyone else started getting going mm-hmm. or things like that, or, you know, putting in extra hours in the train, like we talked about working to achieve that level of performance, not just am I back on the field, but what am I doing to get better? You know, tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about what you've done over the years for your physical preparation and kind of like the whys that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think, I saw very early on, like the injury, the having a significant injury, I saw how important it was and the amount of effort needed in that time to recover. I was like, well, if I, you know, if once I get to that point, if I spread that out consistently, hopefully I'm not in this position where I have to put all this concentrated effort in. Like if I do what I need to do each day, then, um, then I'll be building a foundation, um, that I can maintain. And so, um, for myself, um, I've always been a, a more mobile person. And so for one, mobility has been huge. I try to maintain that anytime I, I feel, um, tightness, like I notice it very quickly. And so, um, yoga has become a, a huge part of my preparation. Um, there wasn't as much in college. I would, but we did, we did plenty of foam rollers and stretching and mobility, um, mobility stuff, but now it's, it shifts a little bit more, um, to yoga. And, um, I, I, I try to make sure that, um, that I address any kind of, you know, soreness and, um, some, and any kind of lingering pain, just cause I know that like, that's like, that's the very seeds that, that could grow into something bigger. And, um, and so I try to treat, um, everything accordingly and, uh, not, not just, you know, brush it off. Um, and then when it comes down to, uh, prepping for getting on the field, I know that, that there's certain, certain muscles, um, and certain, um, firing patterns that I want to have when I'm playing. And so if I can continually prime myself each time that I step on the field by doing that, 
Um, I feel confident in my body throwing it into uncertain, uncontrollable circumstances because I know that I've put in the work and my body is doing it the right way. Um, I keep trying that because you can't, we can train, um, you know, landing and all these different mechanics in controlled environments. And, but it's once you get into the uncontrolled environments where you really have to trust yourself. And so that's, I think by doing the work, I had that level of trust with my body that I was going to put it into these situations that it was going to be okay. And I think that's, that's where my commitment to, um, the prep work really came from is wanting to trust and feel fully free to play the way I know I, I could. And having that strength and preparation to know that your body's prepared for the demands of the sport. Goalkeeping is mm-hmm. a very brutal sport. You know, you have acute injuries and you have chronic injuries. You guys are a throwing athlete, a kicking athlete, a jumping athlete. And then on top of that, everybody else is hitting you all the time. You know, there's just a lot of things to physically prepare your body for, and you can't prepare for them all because some of that is down to chance on some level. But in general, you know, if you can lay that foundation, you're at least setting yourself up for more likely success. Yeah. And you're right. You can't prep for all the possible injuries and have every muscle, you know, to the smallest ligaments in your body, like perfectly prepped for any situation you get, you get put into, but there are those big core um, principles that if you carry it with you, that you'll be in a a good spot. And um, when you do have that foundation, you know um, that you've put in the work and you really can trust that your body's going to support you um, when you need it to. Absolutely. So then even taking you a step further. So you are, have always been very dedicated to your physical health and obviously being very aware of your knee and things like that and trying to be, you know, as preventative as possible, but you also kind of started to look at like food as medicine almost, if you will, Mm -hmm. or you really got into understanding your nutrition and what it meant for your body as you were trying to push yourself to that next level. Tell us a little bit about that and kind of, you know, what you have learned along the way and, you know, what you do and things like that. Yeah. Um, that, that my commitment to nutrition and understanding my body through that way came about through my first year as a pro, um, with, uh, trying to continue to optimize um, my performance. I, I'd always been concerned about it in college, but you have less time to cook. You have to go less to those resources. To, yeah. Yeah. You have less resources. And so I tried to do my best with what I had, but I had limited time and, and knowledge. And then in my first year as a pro, um, we were trying to um, shave off some weight, kind of change my body composition a little bit. And um, just because the, the increased speed and, and um, you know, trying to uh, develop crisp quickness while still keeping my strength and size. And so we were, we were playing with that balance of um, w- how low can my weight be while still keeping that strength and that quickness. And so mm-hmm. I ended up losing um, some weight. But in the meantime, I, I started to realize how important um, – how important food is to, to, you know, to fuel your body because you could go and um, work really hard, but if you eat a bunch of junk food after like that, that is literally going to become physically your body, your tissues, those molecules in those, in that, in that food is going to become, um, you know, the, the body that you're carrying around. And to me, that was a really big realization, you know, cause you just think of food, you're like, Oh, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat. But like, when you break down food, that literally becomes you, that becomes a thing that, that fuels you. And so starting to look into, you know, I, I used to think of things as healthy and not healthy. Right. And like, but even, even a food that's quote unquote healthy, you know, eaten not in the right proportion or at the wrong times or whatever could, could not, may not support you. Um, and so for me, it led to uh, trying a, a vegan stint for three years, the um, <laughs> middle three years of my career. Um, and so for me, I started to really see um, how much uh, diet, you know, having good um, fruits and vegetables and, you know, good starch intake and, and healthy fats. And um, it really, I, I was able to see how much I'd maybe been addicted to more processed foods. And um, so now eating, um, eating foods with, you know, 
as few ingredients as, as I can, except for just, you know, just what they, what they are. Um, and, uh, I, uh, for me, it's helped me feel really good. Like I don't really have days where I feel like I've eaten something that I feel really horrible or really sluggish and, and, and like I'm being hurt in that way. And, and, um, I believe that it, it catches up to every player at some point, you know, you can't, what I saw is like, you can't outrun a bad diet you know, like it will catch up at some point. And, and so for me, it became, if I'm going to put all this work in off the field, well, I've, I've got three meals, you know, plus snacks during a day to help also facilitate um, healing and recovery and performance. So not vegan anymore though? Not vegan anymore. Um, we're trying, uh, we're trying, um, I started last year adding in some fish, um, and I've, added in some um some red meat more days than not like we're not eating a, a ton of animal products and still feel good with that but i'm um, adding in some fish and some um some meat has been um has been good so far and so um i uh i've, I've definitely seen my balance um and so it's been a little bit of an experiment of finding uh, finding what works and i think um sometimes it's frustrating everybody wants a quick fix especially with diet and nutrition because it's you have all these habits around eating and it's hard to change those. And so um, I think it's okay to, to play around and find what works for you. Absolutely. It's, it's a continuum. It's not a hard stop. You know, you, mm-hmm. you aren't, you aren't locked into being who and what you are from now till forever. You have the ability to kind of flow through that experiment with it, try it and find what works for you. Yeah, um, you've, you've seen me. I've, I've had <laughs> perfectionistic and very much like, very kind of a extreme, like if I adopt something, I, I do it fully. All and in, so now I'm all in, all, all in whatever I'm doing. And so I've been able to develop a little bit more of that, that nuance of, of being able to experiment and play around and, and, um, uh, Have balance. Find, yeah, find that balance. Exactly. Absolutely. So we've talked about kind of like physical and nutrition preparation, but you have delved a lot. You already kind of talked about it a little bit, but you've really delved into the mental preparation as an athlete, not even just as a goalkeeper, but as an athlete, like take us through that a little bit and what you've learned or like what you've done and what you've learned. Yeah. For me, it started in high school. Um, a former goalkeeper and alumni, uh, we were playing in summer, uh, captain's practices and, uh, he saw me and saw that I had some potential and was like, Hey, check out this book. It really helps me. And so, um, that book was mind gym by Gary Mack. And that was kind of my first introduction. And, and, um, you certainly saw it. That book was around in college. Beating, oh, yeah. It was beat hell. Up. Like it went everywhere with yeah, you. Went everywhere with me, highlights and, and different things. And so, um, I kind of, I saw early on that, um, that, people will always have physical ability and most likely there'll be someone that's more physically capable than you are. But I did, I started to recognize that there were players that despite all of their physical ability, couldn't get the performance to follow on the field. And so to me, it, it started to seem that the mind was where that, that came from. And, and so um, in college, I think it, it grew even more having gone through the injury and the experience that we've talked about of how much I um, realized how, how strong our internal world is and how how big of an influence that has on on our, on our life. Um, And so that really became the interest of like, how, how consistently can I get my mind to perform? How consistently can I be here for my team? Because I I wanted to have great moments, but I also wanted to avoid those, those lows and they, they happened, but I wanted to be this consistent player. Of course I, you know, had a dip or a mistake or whatever, but I wanted to keep, keep rising. And so that was really where, where that started for me. So, I mean, it sounds like you've done a lot of self-exploration and kind of understanding like what your mental strengths and weaknesses are and trying to kind of hone in on those and create habits surrounding those. It almost sounds like during your years of, you know, just through life, even through college and into pro and things like that. But would you say that working on your mental game is like a continual evolution or like a constant practice? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've have found that there would be, sometimes I would be using something, whether it was a way of um, 
framing uh, a situation mentally, like say if I was, it was a way of approaching practice or a game or something, and maybe I had like a, a word or a mantra or a routine that I was doing, and then it, it was working. It was, it was good, and then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, it just lost its, its potency, and then I was back at like, okay, well, now I'm finding out. Now I need to find out that next part that, that continues to help me. And um, so it, it does evolve, it evolves continually because um, we change. And then I think as growing up, and I'm sure you've seen this in your life, you st- people talk about f- learning more about themselves. And I didn't really understand what that, what that entailed, but you start to see, you know, tendencies for good or for worse of what, what you do in your life. And then um, once you can see those patterns and how you act, um, then you can do things to support the things that you want and maybe, um, you know, maybe avoid the things you don't want. Like I've, I've mentioned uh, my perfectionistic te- tendencies and I jokingly say that I'm a recovering perfectionist or I, I'm in recovery <laughs> now. Like I'm trying to find um, a balance that's less focused on perfection and um, while still striving for excellence, but I'm giving myself that freedom to uh, to make mistakes, which um, so that, that is, you know, that, that's an example of how it's evolved for me. Whereas I was very much, it had to be only be perfect and only that was good enough. And then now it's like, sometimes good, sometimes good enough is, is all you can ask for in the day. And you know, that's, that's, that's where you're at. And you can still be excellent with that. Mm-hmm. That's why we're human. We're not, we're not robots. Yeah. We're human. So we talked about that. So that's your own mental preparation. You know, I don't think people always understand what really goes into being a goalkeeper. <laughs> I think they see you guys as the guy that stands in front of the net <laughs> Yeah. at times, you know, just, you know, from a surface level, um, you know, what's some of the like mental preparation, not from like your own mental state, but the, 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 mm-hmm. the mental work that goes into preparing for practice or game and executing on that day. Yeah. Um, I know people often, when you think of goalkeeping, you think of the big green, the goalkeeper, he just stands in front and waits for the ball to come and hopefully he gets it. And, and so obviously it's a little bit different at, at the collegiate and professional level. And um, so preparing mentally as a goalkeeper, um, you, there is a lot of pressure because you are that last line of defense and you, it's one of the worst feelings to feel like you've let your team down. Like you guys, you guys have worked hard for, 85 minutes and then you have a mistake where you know if you could have just held them in the game a little bit longer you know it could have been different so um you know a lot of the preparation for a game and the mentality that i've seen for goalkeepers is it really starts in training um first and foremost one of the things that i loved about our it really started in seattle for me was that and we did it in college as well but like in training as a goalkeeper, you want to see things harder than what you're going to consistently see in the game. So that you step into that game feeling prepared that you have faced the scenarios you're going to see in the game that week and you've done it um, and you've done well in, in really challenging situations. So it's, for me, it starts with um, prepping in that way. And then um, really the, the way that you can support your team and have uh, – and be there for them is to, to understand the tactics and what is uh, required of you for that match uh, based on the opponent and the, and the style of play that, that you're trying to execute. Um, and then additionally, you add another layer of you have to know the personnel in front of you, you know, like if you have a center back, does he, is he the guy that likes you to get after him, likes you to be hard on him, you know, or is he the guy that's going to, um, you know, maybe he's a rookie and you, you know, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, you need, he needs a pat on the back instead of someone down his throat when he makes a mistake. And so, and then, and then there's all these other dynamics of of um, how do you present to the team? You know, how are you walking out? How are you in the locker room? How are you um, in warm up? Um, how are you on the field? And and the biggest thing is not to be somebody that you're not, but to let your strengths come out and be that that force behind the back line that your team um, trusts. Uh, trust in and so there's a lot of uh, a lot that goes into um, preparing for a match you know the the opponent changes your lineup changes um, your own confidence changes and 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 uh, so um, you, tr- you just try to do the best you can to support your team in all those different areas yeah no I mean it's a much deeper position than people 
than what meets the surface or what meets the eye. There's a lot more that goes into it. And I, after having watched you and all the many athletes that I worked with for so many years, I've just come to appreciate all of that extra mental work that goes into it. I mean, I remember you being in the locker room for, you know, extra hours, you know, preparing, understanding what our lineup was going to be like, what the opponent was going to be like, what their strengths were, stuff you would be aware of, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not just that you're standing there and reacting, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. Nevertheless too, like you're, how do you address others? Like, I don't think people realize it, but you watch a game and really the goalkeeper is really directing traffic out there, especially in the professional game. I feel like like coaches tend to give critical information, but there's a lot more traffic direction that happens immediately on the field. Um, yeah. You know, that yeah, there's you, something that goes into it. Yeah. You're, you're the only player really tasked with a view of the entire field. And so in, in essence, you are kind of uh, a coach on the field. Like you are a director, a general in a, in a sense. And, um, you you see the play developing so not only are you trying to give information because you have a different vantage point um to, to guys to maybe help them out of a, a situation or or to see a pattern that's emerging but then and, um, you're also constantly preparing for what the other team could do so you know in in soccer it's a bit like chess and you take risks and you expose yourself in one way but then as a goalkeeper, your first thought is, you know, how am I going to mitigate, you know, a counterattack? How am I going to position my team this way? Um, so you, people love seeing the highlights and the saves and, you know, the highlight reel. And that is the fun part of goalkeeping, but so much of it goes unnoticed in even how you position on the field and um, your uh, adjustments with the team as the balls at the other end of the field. Like there's not a time where a goalkeeper takes a playoff. There's not a time where um, you're not thinking about, okay, how am I going to present, prevent a counterattack and um, making sure that you're, you know, it's easy for, for players, you know, goalkeeper included to fall asleep. You're watching the play. You're like, you're really hoping that you're going to score on this play. But in that moment of not paying attention and not alerting your outside back that someone's off his outside shoulder for a counterattack, like, you know, that can make the difference in the game. So um, the majority of the work I've, and many of the goalkeepers I've talked to after a game, everyone's just dead mentally. Like you may not even have touched the ball, you know, with your hands more than twice in the game, but you're just like, I've, got nothing left in the tank I, I need to go watch something because I, I literally can't think anymore yeah no it's it's a much harder job than people give it credit that's for sure yeah. okay so we talked about this you are currently the pool MLS goalkeeper what mm -hmm. in the world is that for those who don't know <laughs> I am like the ultimate utility player for the <laughs> league I can play for any team um, at any point um, I am currently housed with a team and so i'm currently with portland and that's who i've been with the last two years so i on a day-to-day -day serve as a function i serve as a, a portland player um you know show up train yeah. do a schedule li you know live by their rules their culture all of that but at a moment's notice could end up with another team for a game or for the rest of the year and um so i'm, I'm like the ultimate roving utility player and in, in case of an emergency. Yeah. There's actually been a couple of really interesting articles that, you know, ESPN and people like that have highlighted your role and, you know, just the fact that like now you're taking all these skills that we're talking about and you're learning it with a new team every time you're there, you know, and luckily I think they're very lucky that a person like you takes that job very much to heart and you are, you know, dedicated to that need as you're trying to fit each team's roles and, you know, whatever that may be. Um, but you know, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, and it's not easy not knowing where your home is all the time, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, but you know, it's been a very interesting and unique opportunity for you, you know, to still keep your presence in the MLS. And, you know, there's been a lot of great things said about your presence on all those teams. So, you know, I'm, it, it's, it brings us challenges, I'm sure. Um, but you know, it's, it's nice that you, you know, you are a person that people can rely on. Yeah, I I think that's that's kind of what's kept kept my career going, right? Like yep. in the last two seasons, um, it, it wasn't the path that I had pictured, um, but it it has afforded me um, 
some really unique learning experiences and, and getting to know, um, I mean, just being in the tournament this, this last month and being a part of three different groups, um, you know, let alone the other teams I've been on in the past, like to know that many guys and to have a look into so many different organizations and cultures and, and, um, and groups, it's been really fascinating. And, um, you know, ultimately it, it has shown me the essence of the game is, is, uh, doesn't, doesn't matter you know one day I'm wearing one crest on my jersey and the next day I'm showing up to training wearing a different crest but um, the game is kind of pure in a sense in that way that the same thing you know for no matter what you're wearing you know the game is the same and so I've been able to to, to touch that a little bit through this experience absolutely that's awesome all right so lightning round so these are yeah, questions. let's do it these are questions I know that Charlie doesn't Okay. <laughs> so just go with your first instinct. All right. Okay. All right. Favorite venue you've ever played in? Uh, Bank of California. Good fans, good atmosphere. What's. Yeah. Um, that was, so that's LAFC stadium. Um, I, I didn't get a league game, but I did get to play a, a half against um, Dortmund in a friendly. Um, so the, it was a part of the inaugural year for LAFC. Um, the the fans are electric there, um, and uh, um, the you know to have the supporters to be uh, on the you know on the field under those lights, like in a brand new stadium, this club with a ton of energy, and playing against you know the, these European players. That was that was easily my my favorite uh, favorite venue. Love it. Um, favorite pro player that you've either played with or played against doesn't matter. Oh, played with, um, favorite. Well, I mean, I have, I have a best friend that's come out of soccer Jordan Schweitzer. He's been, he's on the, he's on Phoenix rising right now. He's one of my favorites that I've played with, um, favorite to have played against. Well, in training, I got playing against Carlos Vela, um, was this for LAFC was, um, incredible. I mean, he's a, unbelievable player and to, to go up against someone of that caliber every day was, was um, a lot of fun. Very, there's probably plenty more you could also pick in that list too. I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah. There's a long list. Hard to say one, but I think those are great ones. So you are a big outdoors guy. Yes. Um, favorite place to hike or be outdoors. Cause I know you and your wife like to go hiking a lot. Yeah. Oh, I mean, anywhere in the, anywhere in the Northwest, like, we've really started to explore. We were out on a hike yesterday and we went to um, Blanco Lake and it's, I, I can't choose one, like just stick me in the upper left corner of the U S and anywhere in there um, in a forest, I'll, I'll be happy. Yeah. All right. So upon retirement, whenever that happens, yeah. just hypothetically speaking, what are the chances of you becoming a T-Rex model or something of the like? <laughs> Uh, well, I think with how much time we've spent on one, I think probably pretty high. I just got to start taking some good photos with them. So there you go. I think yeah. that's a possible career path for me. It keeps <laughs> me active. <laughs> I love it. Uh, one piece of advice that you would give like, you know, incoming like high school kids coming into college athletics or that are preparing for that next venture in life. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it comes down to um, strive for excellence, but you don't have to, you don't have to hit perfection. You know, it, it's, it's okay to shoot for excellence, but it's also okay to know that some days like good enough is just, just all that you can give. And maybe that was truly the best that you can give that day. Um, we don't have to be perfect and, and we we can't be as humans and so to have that freedom um to make mistakes and learn from them and see them as something to come you know to come back from instead of a, a threat to overwhelm you as something that um that you can learn and grow from that there really aren't i mean mistakes it's all just learning um and so it's okay to, to pursue excellence but you don't have to be perfect i think that's what that's what i would say i like that so we're gonna leave it on that as a lasting thought for all that listened. So thank you, Charlie, for joining us today. You can follow Charlie on Instagram at Charlie underscore Lyon, L-Y-O-N, um, to follow his progress over the season, stuff he's interested in. 
He's not a crazy poster, but he's around, so you can always he's check him out. Yep, and you know that there's been a lot of great articles posted about him lately too that I'm sure are up there too that people have shared. So uh, take the opportunity to read them if you get the chance. So thank you to our listeners for joining us today on the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new that will help you achieve your goals. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram and search MKE Sports Podcast. Like, follow, or comment on today's episode. If you have questions, comments, topics, or guest suggestions, reach out through that Instagram account. Your feedback will help us make this podcast as relevant and informative as possible. If you have additional time, we'd appreciate your help in spreading this information. If you could head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, it will help us spread the word to more athletes in the greater Milwaukee area. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.